Welcome to another episode of the Always Already podcast. This is James with you. I know you're not used to hearing me on a text discussion episode, but I'm here with you today. I'm leading this off and I have John with me. Hello, Always Already fam. And, and we have, go ahead, John. Yes, our, he's your our, special guest. Our, our special, special guest. I mean, we can talk about this, but I think at this point with with her third appearance, Always Already correspondent, um, M. Shadi Malaklu. Yes. Assistant Professor of Critical Identity Studies uh, here at Bullock College. Shadi, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Again. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be in such a steamed company. <laughs> so, I don't know, James, do we think Always Already Correspondent is Shadi? Is that something that you would like? I think, I think so. Especially because, like, the the review that you did of Get Out was very, like, correspondent. Like, oh, like wow. you just, like, Bob and this, that. You know, like, so, yes, you are a correspondent because you actually produce like correspondent type content for us so thank you it is my sincere <laughs> honor to be entrusted um, with that although sid sid you. might have um sid might be offended now that oh, we've not made true. him a correspondent that's true. so sid's listening although i think um, sid you know sid has made three appearances as well so he has and sid. sid will be listening to this episode because he's very excited um sid already told us that he's very excited about this episode because it's right in line with his thoughts and he's working through Wilderson right now and some work of his so yes Sid you you could be a correspondent too <laughs> yes um, so and it makes sense like I think for the three of us to be together for this episode as well given um, Shadi's earlier appearances to talk about Get Out and also the Fanon episode from last fall and then James the several episodes that you and I have been a part of kind of tracing various Afro-pessimist thought on the podcast and kind of reverberations around it. And so today we are talking about two pieces. We're talking about Black Nihilism and the Politics of Hope uh, by Calvin L. Warren. And we are talking about Frank Wilderson III's Gramsci's Black Marx, Wither the Slave in Civil Society. Um, yeah. So this is part of part of an arc in a trajectory of Always Already podcast. And one day, James, we will get around to your excellent idea yes. of like creating, what did we decide they were called? All right, so this is even better now because we're going to throw it out to the listeners so we'll have the accountability. But <laughs> we were going to do like, our, I forget what, I, maybe like syllabi, right? Or some kind of modules. Because there are so many episodes that if you were to go through them and, and kind of, you can map your way through mm -hmm. several different kinds of like, ideas or themes or you know and like the idea of like this syllabi that syllabi that's been jump you know popping up after every new thing that happens so i think we should at some point um put our like episodes in some kind of a guide format like that too yeah. that um teachers and you know professors can bring into the classroom perhaps as yeah. a easier you know instead of giving your students an assignment of reading Gr uh wilderson's Gropshi's black marks right I mean, or you can like assign that and maybe have them listen to us too or you know like we can be a teaching aid too so well i already have plans to assign james's interview with lester spence in a class in the fall really so, no. yeah, oh that's great um all right so hold us hold us to that listeners or just hold that, us that okay just, episodes that's more frequently episode <laughs> that kind of falls in line with this black political thought 
for sure. Sub theme that we're doing. So yeah, listen to that episode um, with Lester Spence when you're done listening to this yes. one, so, dear uh, listener. So let's uh, let's take a quick a quick break and uh, we'll get into it. <laughs> All right, so Shadi, you had a really good question um, that I think makes sense to start with, and that is, why do we think that Warren goes with black nihilism and not Afro-pessimism? So maybe you can kind of give us like an intro and what you were thinking about with that question. Yeah, I, I think my question has to do with who is he putting himself in conversation with? Um, because it seems that the arguments that he's making and the kind of your text that he's using to make those arguments, um, Spillers, for example, or, or, or the your text that he should be using, um, and I think he gestures to, which is Spillers, um, and he cites Fanon like twice, he cites Wilderson once, um, is not the site of, of his intervention. He's really speaking to Nietzsche's genealogy, and I wondered why he was mm -hmm. doing that. Um, because it, given, especially when this piece was published, this is kind it's of 2015, a, right? Right. This is when Afro-pessimist interventions have been made. So it feels like he's right. sidestepping that to speak to white Italians, <laughs> um, right? With, or you know, so I and I and I just yeah. There is something. Yeah, I I have to be like I've heard about this article a lot. Like, but never really like looked it up to see when it had been published. And when I started to read it, I still hadn't looked at the date. And I was surprised when I saw Trayvon Martin's name mentioned and, and Mike Brown. And so then I was like, oh, like, let me actually see when this was published. Because I was surprised that this mm -hmm. Black Nihilism article was titled as such and that it wasn't just part of like the Afro pessimist, like, theorizations that are going on right now and i guess it is but it's not it felt i wondered if it was in, i really did wonder if it was intentional and then i wondered what that intentionality was i think that's the important question about it for sure right um and well that's right it brings because like i guess it brings to home why like because he gives us a reason why he chooses nihilism as his like by going back to the nietzschean genealogy of nihilism is he trying to indicate that this is a crisis of modernity in the same way that Nietzsche was? And so like keeping nihilism mm -hmm. is important for the like historical moment that nihilism signifies within Western modernity's own sense of its, its own politics. I guess like, because we were talking before about those questions about the political where he defines the political loosely. Or doesn't. Or doesn't. And, and like, so in those, like those things, like nihilism is the first kind of hiccup in this kind of enlightenment, modernity, progress, liberalism, linearity, right? Like it's, it's nihilism that is the first time that Europeans but, but, kind of hiccup in their own way. So like, is he trying to hmm. capture this like modernity's problem is a problem of nihilism and then like all problems become nihilistic in that kind of sense but doesn't nihilism and i feel this way about masochism too like if we were to call it black masochism doesn't that assume a certain kind of agential capacity mm -hmm. right that you can choose and i felt this way like that you can choose to be nihilistic that you right. can choose not to have hope 
right? Because this is, I guess, I'm trying to, like, as what I'm setting up, this sounds like maybe I'm giving, like, trying to spare or recuperate why he used the word nihilism but on this other hand i don't like the word nihilism specifically because it is so intertwined with western philosophy and western metaphysics of the individual and like the choice of being a nihilist and all that stuff it's it's very like nihilism is something that (laughs) my advisor and it sounds like such a weird aside but years ago I started to talk to my advisor and I was like, wow, it seems like all this postmodern type aesthetics and practices of like pastiche and whatnot, Mm -hmm. that the diaspora, the African diaspora has been doing this stuff like Mm -hmm. they've been postmodern. And she was like, why would you use postmodernity to explain aesthetic practices and things that were happening at times that were not Mm -hmm. described as postmodern yet? Like, why do we need postmodernity as the philosophy that gets to explain yeah. what black people were doing, even yeah. at the height of modernity? So, like, we need another word. And, like, yeah. nihilism is so enwrapped with the modern that I don't like using those kinds of descriptors for black peoples and black thought. Yeah. I, I mean, I so I think, so if I was to, like, defend Warren's use of nihilism, I think I'd go in two directions. One is to pick up on this line that you've identified, James, that it's 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 about a breakdown in Western metaphysics, right? Because if one of his central claims is that anti-blackness is, like, structuring of Western metaphysics and ontology themselves, right, then nihilism is the intentional or agential which is problematic for reasons shada you just raised a couple minutes ago right but like that is the kind of active intervention to force the breakdown or force the catastrophe or force the destruction of western metaphysics so that's kind of one arc now the problem with that potential defense of course is that the entire one of the entire premises of the piece is that Western metaphysics are inherently anti-black and cannot be separated from anti-blackness. So it's weird that on the one hand, he makes that claim when I think he makes it pretty well throughout the piece. And on the other hand, is still using this category that's in irretrievably or always already entangled yeah. with Western metaphysics. Now, the mm-hmm. second kind of way that I see him, like the justification of the use of nihilism is that he's responding to uh, like black political and theological writings that are share some of the diagnoses of anti-blackness in the world and in western modernity but it's like specifically foreclose nihilism is a viable project so like if i i think those are the two registers on which for him nihilism um like that's the, that's why those are key cat that's the key category for him so if you look at his text he doesn't bring up the black as an object or as thingliness until really really later on in the latter half the first place mm-hmm. he actually mentions object or objectification is to think about the political object of hope on page 221 it isn't until much later that he even makes the move that the black is an object um and so by using kind of nihilism or by, by even as he says, there is no choice by the kinds of words and rhetoric that he uses to make this argument, he, like the word nihilism, right, assumes a gentle capacity. But I think, you know, I always go back. Does it have to? Does it always assume a gentle capacity well, is, I guess, the question. Well, I think any will, any political will at all following Sadia Hartman's argument yeah. reproduces the performance of the coffle. Yeah. Right. It can only mm. ever be for the master. Um, it can yeah. only ever reproduce black suffering. And the other thing I will say, James, in response to 
your story about thinking about black aesthetics as postmodern is that the, the, the kind of movement of time is forward moving and hierarchical and, um, teleological means that, you know, the white man's always on top, right? And so mm-hmm. if you want to call yourself postmodern, you're just pushing that point of arrival further up, but you're right. Always, and this goes to Warren's piece. You're always not there yet. Never there yet. There's always a to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always struck me, and this goes to my own research and thinking about the way time unfolds and the racialization of time, that um, it doesn't matter who's doing the action, right? In this kind of epistem, in this kind of this epistemological history with the capital H, you know, I always think about like the kind of ways in which polyamory is now celebrated, right? <laughs> but like. You know, the Muslims who have multiple wives are not being celebrated as postmodern, right? <laughs> right. The, the folks in Utah, the Mormons, are not being celebrated as postmodern. So it's really, I feel like this entire paradigm is a ruse, right? Um, mm. And this is why I, I was, I was, as I was reading this piece and I was thinking about <clears throat> Warren's deployment of time um, and the kind of you know, even as he's making this critique of the historical linear movement, I wasn't sure what he was trying to do with the notion of a future to come. Because if that future to come is even being conceptualized, we cannot conceptualize it. Um, its content exceeds its expression. There is no way for us to perceive what that might look like. So we cannot anticipate it with anything resembling agency. Mm. No, I... I'm trying to, I'm chewing on what you said there, and I don't know if what I'm going to say actually responds directly to that, but part of what you were saying on 221 where he quotes Berlant, mm-hmm. I need, okay, so before the Berlant quote, he's talking about, and he's quote, this, we've mentioned this, he quotes several people and it's hard to know where, if he's still quoting someone or like now he's talking in his own words, but he's talking about Fared before and then goes through this like Lacanian drive, oh, yeah. um, moving towards a linearity, right? Progress. We call this progress. We call this betterment. This idea of achieving the impossible allows one to disregard the historicity of anti-blackness. Okay, on and on. And then he says, in this way, the politics of hope, with a capital P, mm-hmm. politics of hope, recast despair as possibility, struggle as triumph, and lack as propinquity. And then he says, the politics of hope, with a small p constitutes what Lauren Berlant would call cruel optimism for blacks. And then goes on and says, the objective of the political with a capital P is to keep blacks in a relation to this political small P object. And so I, I'm just like, when he says the politics of hope with the capital P politics of hope, now maybe this is a, this is a hope that's plugged into the structure of the capital P politics, which is a linearity, which is progression, which is we're moving towards each new step and 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 even the problems like the despair and you know Saidi Hartman says something like this with Frank Wilderson in that interview the position of the unthought that people turn the narrative of black history into this like triumph narrative Mm -hmm. but only within this frame of progress Mm -hmm. can you look at terrible things and then kind of position them as like Mm -hmm. but they're going to get better but like that politics of hope okay I'm not for that but like the lower capital P politics of hope I don't know if that's exactly the same thing. And and if he's switching in and out, like my, like, are we saying hope that doesn't lie within the 
capital P political? Like, am I allowed to hope that a new order could emerge that is destroys this one? And then is that the same politics of hope as like, I hope that in 2014, in 2018, we get a new Congress? Like, those are two different kinds of hope, right? Well, he's trying to... Are like, they the same political hope? No, because I he hope says that. at one point he wants to, like, save or rescue, I forget the language he uses, or demythify, like, the politics of hope. But he wants to, like, re rescue or something um, the lowercase calls... politics of hope from the uppercase politics of hope. So then he calls the lower, but that. he calls the lower P. He says Is the, this okay, spiritual so... hope versus political yes. hope? That's what I wonder, because... The lower P politics of hope is what he calls or what he says constitutes Lauren Berlant's cruel optimism, which I don't, I mean, now that we have a cruel optimism episode but, but too, here, so go back and listen to that. But here we are just but, quoting more white people to make a black I'm just Yeah, and I'm getting lost in this like hall of signifiers between like yeah. Lauren Berlant says mm -hmm. this versus what Lacan said. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, I don't. I'm right. chasing down genealogies of specific definitions versus like whatever we're trying to get at. Mm. I, You're right. I'm a little like, confused. I, it didn't strike me when I read it, but when he introduces Berlant, like that should be an uppercase P politics of hope. Given right. The rest of the like everything else is capital P in mm. that section, except for yeah. no, the I, statement that connects mm. to her. I don't think I don't think he's using capital P and lowercase P with any kind of integrity that I could follow. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. Is. See, I'm trying this. Like, I'm trying. But what to, I like, could follow what's earlier. What's the point of the capital versus? Love? What I couldn't earlier was this idea of spiritual hope versus political hope. But at the same time, I couldn't help but think that don't you know if we evacuate all the qualifiers that he's putting in front of hope. <laughs> Can hope even exist without futurity, without some kind of belief mm, in futurity? That's a good question. I don't, and this is, takes me I back. Don't... This takes me back to the the my the fact that I'm not sure how he's thinking about time, and I can't suss that out um, because I'm not sure hope can exist without futurity. Right. And I don't think I think racial blackness that futurity is pers that. You know, the two prescribe each other. I don't think you can hold futurity and racial blackness in the same frame. Which is not to say that there's not a social life to social death, right? And and he does mention social death in passing once. But I think the kind of, if there is any kind of hope, it's not hope, it's incidental. And I know I, I mentioned this early in our conversation, um, and I apologize, this is not a piece that we read for today, but I always go back to Jared Sexton's intervention in The Social Life of Social Death. We talked about that on the Afro-Pessimism episode, oh, right, good. James? Look at all these episodes popping up for but, people you know, to listen to. He says, if, you know, and, and, if he's, and, this, goes, and this takes us also to, to Wilderson's question of what does freedom look like. Uh, you know, Sexton says, and he's, he's thinking about a scene in the Colored Museum with Topsy, uh, who says, dance to the music of the madness in the unending, uninterrupted captivity. There is madness in me, and that madness sets me free. So the social life is incidental. It can never be thought of outside the frame of social death. And mm -hmm. so, um, and I'm not sure that hope has a place in that arithmetic. I just don't think that it does. And so... Even, and I think, like, hope is a very... Christian uh, concept, which like and he's quoting a lot. Like even if it is spiritual hope and we're moving, like he's, but he's in conversation with a lot of black theologians. But there, 
for all the blackness that comes in black theology, there's also Christianity and like whatever extent Christianity as a structure puts people into a kind of eschatological framework Mm -hmm. that the end of times are approaching Mm -hmm. and that like that is where futurity and hope resides. It's in the Mm -hmm. like messianic. But this is the problem of like their temporality within Christian eschatology is a timeline at the end of time. And it's not like the Messiah could come back in any moment kind of, uh, you know, so, but like, do you think that that's analogous with Fanon's end of the world? Yes, this is where I wanted to go, mm. actually. Because... because he mentions this notion of the end of the world, again, in the end, kind of yeah. peripherally, not yes. integral to his argument at so all. So this is like 238 and 239. So the question I've been thinking about for the past several minutes while you two have been talking is that... We're over-talking. Is... No, it's no, funny, no, 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 I not at all. 239, actually, because good, because that's where um, I was going to go next. Because, <laughs> so the, the question is, based on the conversations we've been having, can you hope for the catastrophe for the end of the world, et cetera, et cetera? Like, is that, and if it's an epistemological catastrophe, you can't even conceptualize what that catastrophe would look like. Right. But he says, so, but he's talking about the end of the world and then it says black emancipation is world destructive. Mm -hmm. I have a problem with that word emancipation being Mm -hmm. used where he cites Wilderson too, which is in that context. Like if we're destroying the world, then I feel like, emancipation is destroyed too mm-hmm. like that emancipation is a framework that is necessarily related and predicated upon enslavement enslavement yeah. or something like you can, i don't want to be emancipated yeah. i want to i want the world to be destroyed and yeah. emancipa- but, right? like they're not the same thing i no. want to kind of read from and then get your two Please. thoughts on this on the way he ends that paragraph that james picked up on so he writes this is 239 because anti-blackness infuses itself into every fabric of social existence it is impossible to emancipate blacks without literally destroying the world. Moreover, this means that black emancipation will not yield a new world or possibilities for reorganization. Black emancipation is the nihilistic quote-unquote solution that would destroy the field of all possible solutions. In this sense, black emancipation becomes something like death for the world with all its Heideggerian valences. You know, despite the use of the word emancipation, this was one of the, I mean, mm. I, I could get behind this. This was one right. of the more succinct parts of what he wrote. And, um, yeah, I get though, all of that. And but the words, like that word. But yeah, the words that he uses betrays what he's trying to argue. Like words like emancipation, words like solution. Um, right, that this, and I feel like elsewhere he uses words um, like, uh, what is like reconfigure or transform that make me think that maybe he's just not, I mean, maybe what I'm really asking for, and maybe this is unfair is that for him to be just a little more careful with the words he uses to make his argument, because I'm getting caught up in that minutia and the Mm -hmm. larger frame of what he's trying to say. I I didn't even know he was arguing against hope until the very end. (laughs) But no, but this is actually, I think it's... That he holds on to, which is why that's confusing. I don't think that you're... I don't think it's a petty kind of, like, thing to bring up that, like, these words are... Like, words matter, and genealogies of words matter. And if we're going in, like, on the one hand, he sets up the genealogy of nihilism, and so, like, okay, I'm with you. Like, we're working on the philosophical concept or whatever. But then, like that kind of care is like slipshoddy in other parts, like where every word needs to have that same kind of like attunement mm-hmm. to 
like it's ontology within the structure, right? Does emancipation have an ontology outside of the capital P political? I don't think so. I, I don't, I can't even conceive of emancipation without the capital P political standing behind it. And so again, like those, it's like, if you're trying to mm-hmm. decolonize, hmm. fully decolonize mm-hmm. or, or like show that like anti-blackness or maybe to show blackness as like, I don't know, like, I don't know what I'm even trying to say here, that like the level of colon, blackness is the point at which colonization takes place or something, right? So like, if I'm trying to rid all of those issues, then like, I wouldn't even use, half of these words I wouldn't even use because they just, they bring up, they dredge up the genealogies of Western philosophy with them, yeah. right? And it's like, or just like, I need, I don't, like, because, if we destroy the world and the world dies and the world is emancipated and so then the world's free and is freedom now working with, mm. like are we using the enlightenment's idea of liberation and freedom as like this highest ideal this is a, a, a question that i've been struggling with generally and i'm saying it out loud now on the podcast for real what would black politics look like if liberation was not put in the center only for the reason that liberation is at the center of Marxist politics and liberty mm-hmm. is at the center of the Enlightenment's mm-hmm. politics. Like, what if we just decentered liberation What's... and worked for something else? Well, I, th- I think what would happen? I think, I mean, I think this is what Wilderson tries to ask in Gramsci's Mark Black Marx because yeah. he mm-hmm. says he says that to ask what it means to be free is actually to ask or is made legible by the question, "What does it mean to suffer?" Yes, right. That's now. Now we're talking like, and I just, yeah, there's so much reading these together mm-hmm. is almost, it makes it, it, it's like, it's, it's easier to pick up on those little details in Warren that are not mm. quite nailed down because Wilderson is like immaculate <laughs> in making sure that his terms and everything are yeah. like lined yeah. up within the logic that he's putting into mm-hmm. this paper and not mm-hmm. quoting a bunch of other people and trying to maneuver them into your structural, like your yeah. rhetorical structure. It's, it's hard. It's harder to see where Warren is kind of like where he sits, where they sit. But like with Watterson, you know, and he's being very deliberate to lay out the bounds of everything that he says. And this is why, and I have to say that I, you know, I, I was trained by, by Frank and Jared and the Afro-Pessimist School at Irvine. But, you know, when I read their works and when Drop I Drop read... those receipts on the table. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but when <Receipts>. I... Receipts. <laughs> and when I read, you know, Sadia Hartman and Hortense Spillers, I just feel like there's such a careful attention. And, and David Marriott as well, that there's such a careful attention to word choice. But then also in trying to train myself to write like that, I've noticed how aggravating and... Um, psychically i mean it's such a it's 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 such a slow and agonizing writing process and so when i Mm. said perhaps it's petty for me to ask this is like i am a non-black thinker of this work and here i'm criticizing calvin warren a black man and asking him to be more particular (laughs) right and that's problematic well when you lay it out quite like that it's, it's problematic because i mean this is already 
difficult enough to write, right? So when I want to hold his feet to the fire and say, why didn't you use the right word choice? It almost feels like the same move of him routing what he wants to say through Nietzsche. Right, right? yeah. <laughs> Instead of grappling with the, like, the, the incommensurability. That yeah. is the, right? That, like, all these words, I guess, behind the smokescreen of the Middle Passage are bullshit. If that's mm. one argument that he's trying to make. Um, which, where does he say that, actually? We should... Because I totally gave my own version of what he was saying there about the Middle Passage being the, like, semiotic... For me, frame through which, like there is no meaning anymore. Although this is a little bit different than this like signification part, but for me, uh, like the key quote about that was on two thirty seven. For the black nihilist, anti blackness is metaphysics. It is the system of thought and organization of existence that structures the relationship between object subject, human animal, rational mm -hmm. irrational, and free enslaved. Essentially, the categories that constitute the field of ontology. Mm -hmm. Metaphysics, then, is unthinkable without anti-blackness. Yeah, but then he talks about, shortly thereafter, about political apostasy. Yeah. And again, that, like, act of refusing. It's like, you know... Did who, it? I'm who sorry. Can, who did can it? refuse? The black cannot refuse. Or is I it feel the... like this is... We've had a... Isn't... Barber. Thrown Barber into question? and crystals. That's what I was thinking like, of, James. Do you remember that episode? Yes, I remember that episode. But that was that the one? No. Okay, I'm thinking about experience as a category is thrown into question by Fanon. Like, does experience, mm -hmm. does black experience even exist? But yeah. do do metaphysics even? I thought doesn't Moton throw metaphysics in the question? Well, Fanon, like, what, I, is, I mean, what does Fanon say about Hegel and recognition and ontology? Hegel, he says the the form of recognition that Hegel spoke about does not apply to the black. Right. And he talks about the the fact that. He cannot gain recognition but for his thingliness, right? So the white gaze is a humanist gaze, right? Routed through this epistemology that we're talking about. Can only ever fix the black as that. And so that takes me to another criticism I had, or maybe a question I had for, for Warren, which is that, um, that, that he's arguing for a black nihilistic hermeneutic, right? And this comes through in the end. And I just kept thinking, okay, what does a black hermeneutic look like? And I thought of Fanon and this idea of existing triply. And again, goes back to, to Sexton, to Topsy, to the Colored Museum, that there's madness, that it's about madness. Fundamentally, if there's any kind of experience of blackness that is so, that can be thought of the lived experience at all, that existing triply where you, are, where you ex experience a kind of psychosomatic incoherence, that everything you do is hyper... Um, that there's a different way in which the sensorium moves in the black, mm. um, and and maybe that's maybe that's maybe that's part of you know, Warren is is thinking about political economy, and maybe I'm thinking about libidinal economy, and that's why I had a hard time with it. But I think it was also to think about what John said um, that there's a way in which it's not clear even what he means by the political. Yeah, let me so say that real quickly. So like. And James, you pointed us to this quote at one point already. It's on 230, or excuse me, 218, um, where he talks about like the logic of the political and there are these various aspects to the logic of the political, right? And so they are for him uh, linear temporality, biopolitical futurity, perfection, betterment, and redress. 
right? So, like, that's the logic of the political. But other than there, there's no actual content of what the political is or does. There's mm -hmm. no, like, specification of where the political comes from. Like, are we talking about, mm -hmm. uh, like, liberal or Republican political and, like, the political theory sense? This is also, like, a very kind of petty, potentially, uh, political theory sort of question to ask of the piece. But, like, where's the political coming from what does it do what does it actually mean what constitutes the political like where does the what sites or locations does the political operate in addition to or in excess of the metaphysical like these are all kinds of questions that i was left wondering because i think what the political is and does is left underspecified. and so there's a contrast to be drawn here with the wilderson piece where wilderson like breaks down what civil society is and what civil society does, right? Whereas, and so like, Wilderson is, I think, an, another interesting, this is another place to go back to what you were saying earlier, James, where the Wilderson-Warren um, kind of contrast is evident and important to really see things together. Because whereas Wilderson like is breaking the hell down what civil society is and why it's white and inextricably structurally <laughs> white, right? Yeah. Right we are told that the political is inextricably anti-black and is inextricably white in Warren's piece. And I think he's right, but I'm still left wondering, like, what the hell is the political? Right. It's not, I guess, like, yeah, and like, I, I don't know. I don't want to say, like, it's not sealed off tightly enough in his description, but, like, I feel like things leak in and out. Is it Warren. just, is it just like a, like a, more concrete manifestation of anti-black western metaphysics in which case i'm not sure that the political is the right term for it mm. although then of course like now i'm getting into you know like now like i'm the white man being like hey warren your categories aren't good enough so like there's a problematic aspect to this as well i feel like i've started to toy around with the, the idea of saying like a mixed passing or something mm. black person because like i've been called out a couple times yeah. now by fully blooded whatever the hell that's supposed to mean black people that i talk too much about black people for black people or whatnot so i don't know if i even can critique fairly but but um i am still trying to parse through this like 237 it, I, I metaphysics yeah. thing i'm trying so like is he's saying anti-blackness is metaphysics are we saying mm -hmm. metaphysics as a discrete philosophical like a branch of philosophy or are we saying literally reality like the Somewhere like metaphysics the as the, the, the discourse I, I or just metaphysics of like there is a metaphysical realm i don't think he's <sighs> thinking ontic i think he's thinking ontological i think he's thinking the meaning and he and I, and I this occurred to me when he was breaking down the distinction between um political and spiritual hope and phenomenology mm. and no, uh, nom is it nomenon the, yeah the new noumenon, noumenon i think um i know noumenal is how you say that word noumenal, noumenal maybe so that's maybe, it. Yeah. Um, um the noumenal world versus the phenomenal world lord i sound like an analytic philosopher now how Kantian but when, when i think I mean, the fact that he brings up as the symptoms of the political linear temporality, biopolitical futurity, perfection, betterment, redress, I, I can I can only assume that when he's talking metaphysical, and again, the metaphysical becomes twinned with the political in ways that are unclear, which are the critiques of metaphysics, which are the critiques of politics. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but when he talks, when he says 
linear temporality, biopolitical maturity, perfection, betterment, redress, I think of Hegel, um, Hegel, Descartes, Hume, um, right, this Locke, this idea of moving man out of a state of nature, right, to this kind of <laughs> rational being where the mind, where there's like self-control and um, almost like a celebration of, of one's will, willpower, um, and this, this kind of like slow motion evolution of man out of everything we associate with racial blackness of the bush, uncontained. Um, without a proper object of, you know, yeah. fixation. Yeah, that's like, I think, the best plausible specification of Just what the of political this is. linear temporality bit, <laughs> Well, right? but like, if that's the case, then this is perhaps like another kind of theoretical lineage that I kept thinking about throughout this piece in my, like, what is the political question? And like, if that's, we go in the direction that Shadi's suggesting, then it's like, I want Warren to engage with Charles Mills. And I think yes. there's like some really important mm. things to go on between yeah. the two of them. Like maybe Mills is like the conceptual yeah. precursor of the political for war. And that's kind of what that makes me think of Shadi, which would be really fascinating. And then like, that would be something that I'd be somewhat more like wanting to think through. Yeah. I, all right, then I have a I have a question. If we're yeah. at a pause for you two, so I'm at a pause. Is when Warren talks about nihilism, to what extent could we say that that is somewhat similar to what Wilderson is doing with um, crisis or excess? Hmm. Right, because I kept going back and forth on whether I wanted to say that those are similar sorts of. Um, Where, what piece of his are you thinking about? Uh, in, in Gramsci's Black Marks, yeah. That So I'm going to read, you know, he says, The slave makes a demand which is an excess of the demand made by the worker. Yes. And I read this of. as the slave makes a demand which is in excess of the political. Yeah. Right? Um, which is, or to in me, excess of, it's of excessive, society. It's excessive in that it's unintelligibly so. Right? Like, it, right. it exceeds the categorical structuring right. that would make that claim legible in the first place yes so that's where its accessibility comes from right like it's it's excessive because it's just like a logical not illogical but a logical. and then it can't be anticipated so it can't even be articulated mm. within the context of 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 um mm. what you know political apostasy or the 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 nihilism that would anticipate a will or that would require some kind of of agency um so yeah like nihilism is just a little too already determined like it's already determinative once we've mixed nihilism into like the subject that can be nihilist is not a subject that is also unintelligible right like the yeah. nihilist subject yeah. is very intelligible i think hmm. because nihilism hmm. is a is the child of modernity's mm -hmm. own political philosophy so like nihilism is Definitely not even that like, like if we're gonna do the nietzsche thing through warren like nihilism is like in some ways the inevitable outcome of western right. modernity of that whole right? it's not even it right? it's not just masturbatory those who have the means of subsistence can then reject them right as opposed no, to there's something very... is offering yeah. yeah it just yeah i i mean this is the thing this this notion of nihilism really the, the place in his text where I really felt like, okay, this term is insufficient is when he's talking about 
Toni Morrison's piece, right? Yes! And no. And, and the fact that um, in Beloved... That made me mad. That made me so mad. Right. That Beloved... And that in Beloved, Setha has to make this decision, which is an act of mercy, to submit her children to physical death over social death. Right? And that that, didn't, now, that does not seem like a decision to me. And like, okay, do, are we going to say that they're... That while that might be nihilist within a kind of rational politics, yes, right. That rationality, like, you're right. Right, like bit. you need. It's not rational to want to kill your kid, I guess, or something, right? But yeah. but let's forget rationality and all that shit. Like, are we saying that that was a a meaningless act for Seti though? That that was not meaningful. Mm. That like from her mm. own, it haunts her in the rest of the text, right? right? To say that like that's an act of nihilism. But yet it is so meaningful for her. I don't know if like it's fair, like nihilism by proxy of a political lens, perhaps a certain kind of lens that only knows how to view certain kinds of actions as like politically rational, then maybe that's nihilistic. Mm -hmm. But on a completely different way of looking at things, that was he said it was. What do you use the word? It was ethical. What? What? Yeah, sorry, ethical. Ethical. ethical but like, yeah. we can go even further. It was love, right? Like that's loving, yeah. and it's so meaningful. And to try, like, I don't yeah. want to just render these examples because there's real life historical examples where that, where Toni Morrison's drawing from, right? And so let's envision if we can, if it's impossible, but like we'll try, right? Like the actual enslaved woman who contemplates smothering her child. Now, whether she does it or not, I don't know. But even to, comp to contemplate that, I'm uh, going to just fill in the gaps of history and say that lots of enslaved mothers contemplated yes. doing that. We, right? We'll just like chalk that up to assuming things about history. Well, that's the, uh, that's. I mean, the archive doesn't even list the names of the mothers, let alone no, the children. Right? right? This so is how, the missing lacuna of our historical record. Exactly. So, like, I don't even. So, like, what are we gonna say then? That like they're just like nihilist actors politically. But I think and just the, render everything on that level is, of just but, like okay. meaninglessness and absurdity. The, or I, is is it the performance of the coffle, or is it something else? I think, but here, but here's where so I maybe think it is that, the performance of the coffle. But like at least, but it's a twinning. To say but that's there the thing, now. and that's the social life of social I need death. To be able is, to say something. I'm is not that call it nihilist? That the, it is a performance. That the performance of the coffle is all. There's also a madness there that is freeing. Right, that that's where possibility exists, if we can call it possibility. Right. Which is why, like, okay, I think I don't know if I said this while we were recording it before, but that I almost because he mentions, and we're talking about um, Warren again. Warren mentions, and I lost my pages now, but he talks about nihilism and then says that black existence is absurd, mm -hmm. and of course, absurdity has its own philosophical genealogy that stands kind of to the side of nihilism or maybe is in dialogue with nihilism but absurdity is like what you do with nihilism and decide to have to live today anyway and like you know if we want to play old white guys like mm -hmm. Camus famous like should I kill myself or have a mm -hmm. cup of coffee is the absurd like premise right because literally both of those choices are rational within the absurd structure of things and I almost wish that Warren was writing Black Absurdity as his ah, article instead of Black Nihilism. That at least made, absurdity allows that, for some possibilities. Yeah. And that would have kind of, that would have, you know, it would have been clear what hope, the position of hope. 
right? Right. If, and if then hope is an absurdity. It's it's yeah, that would have made more sense to me. Right. Because even if it is absurd, but like you can do absurd things, right? Like absurd things happen all the time. Absurdity runs everything. If this really is an absurd structure of so then okay then like embrace the absurdity and i think like some of the like so that that question or that part in the beginning of like right like around 221 so he talks about the middle passage is kind of foreclosing all semiotics and signs um that are possible but like the absurd embrace of the world almost i guess is what lays into postmodernism and post-structuralism a bit like Semiotics are never an empty field. Like <laughs> the absurdity of performance allows for us to take something and just completely reinvigorate it or just completely resignify it in, in multiple ways in the same utterance or instance. And I just, there's so much possibility that gets immediately just left outside of the discussion when we use the word nihilism as the beginning and the end of this so this is mode. If this mode is always already just always nihilism, then like I don't know what 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 is, what are we even talking about? What the fuck like, are we just, doing, man? So, like, because like it's, it, I don't know. So I it's, think it's, that <laughs> again, to like go back and try to kind of think like the way that I was reading Warren, I think his response to that would be something along the lines of, "Be wary of falling into the traps of mm-hmm. assuming that nihilism can only ever mean meaninglessness." right and that like i think that he would say that yes i think he'd agree with both of you like on your reading of beloved right i think his point is actually to say contra west here um if look like on 226 227 contra west like for him for warren west reads beloved is the conversion of the nihilist right whereas warren wants to i think agree with parts of what West is saying, and I think he would agree with what you two have been saying about your the reading of Beloved. But for him, like that is the expression of a meaningful nihilism, mm. right? Like I think that Warren is trying. So there's a to... double valence or something, yes, then, right? Like there's precisely, and that might not work, and that might not work, and that might be unsatisfying, right? But like I think that he is trying <laughs> to say that like the, that ethics that the love, that the meaningfulness, like, all of those can be part of black nihilism. And he thinks that, like, that the recuperated black nihilism contra black critics of nihilism, that the, the, the criticisms of it from West and who else? Carter, uh, right? Is the other person? Hmm. Anyway, so the, uh, right, but the, that those critiques of nihilism are, like, caricatures of nihilism. I think that that's what he's trying to say. Again, we don't have to agree with him, obviously. I guess, like, I, I think guess, that's if long, what he's trying to do. This if is why he needs to clarify his terms. <laughs> and right, like I guess if we're all, if nihilism is like how this shows and manifests itself within the logic of the capital P political, then it's going to look nihilistic. It will only always encode itself within that kind of a way. Like that's the only way to read it. But I, okay, I just. This is not the like. This is not. This is such a petty thing to say. But in 2015, when you're writing this article, we are already parsing ourselves over pessimism versus optimism, or pessimism and optimism, and like how those two are playing off each other. And does one allow space for possibilities that the other one doesn't, or foreclose it? And it's like 
that's such a tedious conversation. And then you want me to come and do equally as tedious work, but just your own vocabulary now, because you're the only one pushing through this specific vocabulary, black nihilism. It's just a lot of work. So let me read a quote <laughs> that ties together a couple questions we've asked. And so this is 229 for one. Uh, we might, however, think of the nihilists not as the fleshly embodiment of, quote-unquote, hope death, unquote, but as spiritualists invested in the deliverance of the spiritual from the clutches of the political, capital P. The black nihilist in this regard is profoundly spiritual and addresses the contamination of the spiritual by its political sequelae. Unlike the political theologian, the nihilist does not promise redress within the structure of the political, for this is impossible, but offers instead rejection of the political as a spiritual practice itself. So is, here's, okay, another possibility. Is Warren putting forth Black nihilism as kind of, like, all the discussion and dis the discourse that would break into the black optimism and pessimist camps does nihilism encompass it all mm -hmm. that nihilism can be question. both a spiritual hope nihilism is also a rejection of the capital p political but if nihilism is doing all those things at once then nihilism is both like black optimism and afro pessimism mm. as those two discourses mm. but here's the thing right mm. i actually think i actually think and again <laughs> <laughs> I, I in the, so in the social life of social death, I yeah. think Sexton puts this to rest. And that Afro pessimism says, yes. is not a closed door, and it's not even to claim that the black yes. is the pathogen. It's the world is the pathogen, and even the desire for a world is pathological. And mm -hmm. so it's not that Afro pessimism closes a door; it opens a portal into an other with the capital O way of being that we can't even conceive. And that's the richness of it, is that we cannot anticipate or conceive of it. Right. And so, that, to me, just seems like where that portal opens into is now where the Black optimists elaborate out this, sure, absolutely. this space. That is like a space that's really hard. And, I don't even know where that space is. And even exists. people, and I think of works like uh, Alexis Pauline Gums, right? Things that think about, you know, um, kind of Afrofuturism or the kind mm -hmm. of like otherworldliness of Blackness. Yes. And, you know, and you know what? Your too. work too, James. This is where I situate your work. Afrofuturism and Afro-pessimism are so very necessary. And, I, and, optim and optimism to me. It's like if my, my pessimist premises deal with like the world order here, that only opens up then the space of futurity for me to start opining or like to put my optimism into the realm right. of futurity. But a futurity it, it that is not realm. but a futurity that does not reproduce the metaphysics of man, right? Right, right. It's a yeah, it's a, a right. A or that forward not, movement out of a state of nature. Or not that, a future yeah. futurity or like it's a different it's not an adjacent future. I mean, it's not it's not it's within a, like it's Western almost, white. It's, it's you know and I, I'm I'm sorry you can tell that I am a I am a student of of this camp, but you know, um, the idea, if, if not even like a future, but that Sexton writes, black life does not live in the world that the world lives in, but it lives underground or in outer space. Mm -hmm. That it's mm -hmm. not some future, it's some alternate space time. You know what? There's, a, there's an and old And that's where he's talking essay. in conversation with Moton, right? And that's yeah, part this, of the this essay. entire essay is about him speaking to the black optimist, specifically Moton. Right, and the that fact of social blackness. life, the social death one, right? Right, yes. in the, in the, so Moton's fact of blackness and being in nothingness are what Sexton is, I think, responding oh, to. What was I just going, oh, I was going to say something. Keep filling in. 
I lost my train okay, of so thought the, there. Uh, I have been potentially a polemical question. Um, Good because polemicism was missing from Warren. <laughs> okay? But that's what makes that's what makes I don't know Wilderson for me so powerful. I, you know right? Is that he writes exactly. polemically? Yes, I need that. And there like, was something really and, and, flat. I'm sorry, and this is so you know I'm leaning into his use of Lacan and psychoanalysis. So flaccid about the way Warren <laughs> is writing. <laughs> yeah, I and I, I just not. Yeah as jazzed up about it like it doesn't i don't know there's something about wilderson's writing that it it is the opposite of flaccid and i there's just there's a there's an invigoration going on with the way wilderson is writing because there is a polemic behind it and it's very it's so confident of itself i think that's part of it too it doesn't it's very it's not looking for recognition from the white men Mm -hmm. Because no, it's he's not running into, into he's, of everyone in Right, and he's leaning into Fanon's notion that the white man can never give you recognition. And he's only going to Gramsci to critique. Right. right? Like he's he's picking up on a Gramscian critique to yeah. show how progressive politics today are just from their inception have always been mm-hmm. impossibly right. the place to stage like black politics. Well, one thing we haven't talked about is and I and I just kind of nodded to it in my in my use of the word flaccid, but the way Warren goes to Lacan, right, and in going to Lacan, um, cites and utilizes a kind of Freudian psychoanalysis. But I actually don't think that branch of psychoanalysis can account for the being of the black. I really think that he needed to develop a Fanonian psychoanalysis mm. to even make this notion of nihilism coherent. Um, Damn. Yeah. <laughs> but sorry, you were gonna take us on a polemic, John. No, I know. Like, I think I think that that actually might that might be like a place. To was that our polemic? <laughs> no, I mean, wait, so my wait. question is like, if we if we if we just grant Warren this whole article, is Sexton in the social life of social death a black nihilist on Warren's understanding of black nihilism? I don't like the word, no, see, because again, nihilism is this genealogy that brings you back to Nietzsche, and no, I don't think Sexton is Nietzschean about his thoughts. Like, I I I think one of the beautiful things about pessimism and optimism is that they were trying to create a new vocabulary at the same time, and like, that's really hard to do, but it's still very necessary. Without instantiating a grammar right so how do you make a vocabulary without a grammar it's really difficult and i i just that project is um and i do want to say that project i know that the optimism and pessimism there are people who interpret those camps differently i think the the like the core of the insights are a kaleidoscope that just keeps shifting around. I wish and like, you could see James's hand motions. I wish, yes, you could see this. I'm trying to make... You're conjuring other worlds. Stuff. You're conjuring <laughs> other... Or a uh, non-worldly is this meta- world. Is this metaphysics, though? Or is it... <laughs> is it a know. metaphysical world or an ontological world? Is it metaphysics and ontologics one and the same? I don't know. See, to, that's like, a question that we need to dig into. Ontological, right? That's it. Gets back to that question that you posed yeah. earlier, Shadi. I had so many thoughts that were all like sitting right on the edge, and then they just all run away from me here in the last like ten minutes. So that's right. I think. Are, do we want to just like make sure Wilderson 
get some like what is he saying here i don't know if we've actually said what his argument is so people know wilderson's argument in like a takeaway i'll just phrase it here I, is that or go ahead no please or i'll i'll do one sentence um i'm just gonna give one takeaway uh gramscian marxism that and i'm and i have to decide I'm interpreting this through reading Red, White, and Black, too. Yep. And so I know where he keeps going with his thoughts. Right. But this kind of reduction of race oppression and slavery, particularly to the labor extraction side of it, as if Black people were the first proletariat that were just, you know, the most oppressed of worker classes that ever existed. And that kind of reductionist, like for metaphor almost, and the way we teach slavery from elementary school on, it's just, a, it's free labor, it's it's labor exploitation, right? And that does not capture the full depths because, and just, right, um, yeah. lots of reasons. He gives us lots of reasons why. But I think one that's just so, like, choice is that the worker wants, and I'm paraphrasing, I can't find it. The worker wants labor to become more democratic and wants production productivity to become democratized. And the slave wants production to stop I and doesn't give a so damn good. about them. That's what I, that's where I was production. going even before you said that, James. So it's like, yes. this is Wilderson. Uh, the value of reintroducing the unthought category of the slave by way of noting the absence of the black subject lies in the black subject's potential for extending the demand placed on state capital formations because it, its reintroduction to the discourse expands the intensity of the antagonism. In other words, the slave makes a demand which is in excess of the demand made by the worker. The worker demands that productivity be fair and democratic, Gramsci's new hegemony, London's dictatorship of the proletariat. The slave, on the other hand, demands the production stop stop without recourse to its ultimate democratization. Work is not an organic principle for the slave. Right, and I think, and he's, yeah, all the snaps. snaps. And, and like, like, the end, right? I almost feel like that one, and I'm sorry to cut you off, I'll let you finish, but like, that is so, that's it. Like, what more do I need? He's given me literally everything I need in just that, like, little mantra there that like work is not an organic principle for the slave yeah. the end Which now go do your work the organic, the organic, and then elsewhere he says literally the organic principle or the structuring relation is one of terror yeah right and i think right. this really speaks to his that if 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 the if the metaphysics of blackness can be made analogous at all it is to be made analogous to the animal right the cow mm -hmm. so so if if the fun if the 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 conditions of racial blackness, the metaphysics, which are accumulation and fungibility. And he says it in this piece and develops it in red, white, and black. Right. If those are the structuring logics of racial blackness, the only analogy, if there's to be any analogy at all, is in the animal. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about, so in red, white, and black, um, and in other things that, that Frank has written and, and other and, and Jared as well. This idea taken from Fanon of thingliness of objects that the black is analogous to an object. Um, but I, I honestly, I really think there's something about if, if the black is unsignified flesh and there's something about literally the slicing and dicing of black flesh, the pulverization of black flesh that does something to the psyche and the libido, right? That mm. has some kind of, um, 
Frank has said in interviews quoting David Marriott that it coheres the collective unconscious of human community, hmm. right? That there's something hmm. about the animal, right? That we, that, that, that I don't, the same pleasure from breaking a piece of wood, that that's not the same pleasure isn't there from ripping apart fabric or breaking a piece of wood, right? Um, but the, the kind of, the, the kind of fleshiness of blackness, um, that there's something about the fungibility of that that's not just about and it's part the abilities. value of the black but about what it does to the psychic coherence of the person doing the slicing of the person right because this is like i think the key insight of ground or gropsy hmm. <laughs> of wilderson and it's there in hartman you know you know it's, it's in hartman's um wow what is the, the book the, the ur text Scenes of subjection. Yes, thank you. Right? Is it ur text uh, or your text? I'm I always said ur text. All right. Oh, I have no idea. But I just but, heard um, somebody that... use this phrase yesterday, and they they went with your. I go with ur text, but I might be wrong. I am just an immigrant child. I know none of this. <laughs> but but so look at the the idea of. Oh, well, that idea is gone now, too. That's okay. No, the animal. Okay. The animal. And the animal. Okay, yes. So the apart, the, the, fungi- the fungibility of these bodies in that, again, like, these bodies are, they don't, they're not there for labor. They're not mm-hmm. necessarily. They don't, their value is or not Or that is a secondary or peripheral right. function. They're, they're, they, they bring a value just in their kind of gratuitousness of being a thingliness, a thing that can be touched, that can be broken apart, that can be played with, that can be raped, that can, or like yeah. masturbated with. And really, if you want yeah. to really make it uncomfortable, right? Like it's, it's, it's all that. And then sometimes your slave does work for you, right? Mm-hmm. But like you don't need them to do work. The mm-hmm. bodily, the bodiliness of them, the accumulation of their bodies. You look at paintings from the 17th and 18th centuries of just like putting black people in the painting next to the white Mister, you know, mas- master and mistress is just for yeah. like pure, you know, it's value. irrational. It's social value or something. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, it's libidinal value. value. <laughs> it's it, you know, it's all these other things that, like, don't even enter into mm-hmm. productive economics, mm-hmm. rational economics or something. Uh, so I just, yeah, I think, like, that Wilderson can never be, like, not pointed to enough, I think, in really bringing a strong, like, just bringing this together and crystallizing that idea of, like, yeah. why slavery is not just another example of exploitation in a labor relationship, or that the grammar of slavery suffering cannot be organized around exploitation and labor, but it needs to be, like, organized around terror and suffering that becomes terroristic. And then, like, once that opens up, you're in the whole different space now i guess like the madness that you were talking about too yeah and wilderson says this is not this is not violence against black people is not is ontological and gratuitous it is not ideological and contingent there's no reason for it right right um there's no reason for any like this is i mean you want to talk about like what's really absurd or like the real nihilism or something it's not like this is what's nihilistic it's just accumulating black bodies Mm -hmm. for literally nothing like that and like the absurdity of just like creating several types of values, economic well, and racial and social, 
out of this process that was just so that it's a recreational past ridiculous yes the hunting season is not confined to the time and place of political society blacks are fair game always already right and the thing that i thought was really interesting that he says on page 231 at the bottom of 231 that capitalism is america's structuring rationality Mm -hmm. but that there is also a a structuring irrationality Mm -hmm. that is white supremacy and then that's just all the whimsies and fantasies of Mm -hmm. a gratuitous white libido which is irrational and yeah so right on some level capitalism brings rationality to right helping us even kind of be able to talk about it's almost white the supremacy excuse. or something. It's right. almost the it, excuse. It, it absolves us of the need to, and I think this is part of what Wilderson is saying in this piece, it absolves us of the need to think about white supremacy, right? Because it yes. all of a sudden has, like you said, this rational... Because if you could just focus on the rational capitalist structure mm-hmm. that, that in a rational way, right? Your rational pursuit, your anti-race Some... rationality... Something that we can amend without destroying the world, right? Right. It's all, all of this is, I mean, because all of this intellectual labor is like predicated on rationality, I guess, as long as it's being done within a Western can. Like we all have to be rational to some extent if we're going to be legible within the academy. Mm -hmm. We're writing within realms, I guess, like modes of rationality. And so how do you, like, even like if you want to write for a completely irrational politics that'd be really hard to do because you have to write your you write wrote language english is not a rational well this is why already. i think the work of sadia hartman and you know john Murillo also does this to to, to write allegorically mm. um right mm-hmm. and so does um nicholas brady but to, to write allegorically to, to really lean into not needing a grammar not needing to be intelligible um right and just like that yeah it, manipulating i would say there's an understanding of that that manipulates the like meaningfulness can be generated mm-hmm. in lots of ways and and like that my sticking point i guess with war again is like yeah. there like there are so many listen the mat the middle passage has orchestrated a certain master sign over mm. black life yes it's absolutely undeniable but to to then just like sit it there and say that like meaning within that realm now is lost or the chance for meaning is lost because it's organized through this grammar in a certain way. Like there are so many ways and like, especially black signifying like Henry Louis Gates, check out signifying monkey. Like we've been deliberately taking rational grammars and playing with them and spinning them upside down and churning them up and down and just doing all kinds of things in a way like a poetic way right like the poetics of language allow us to see that like you can generate meaning out of absurdity and a good poet can do that a good poet can just take random nonsense syllables and still make it sound rhythmically good to you or something right like there's all different ways to generate thus it's not coincidence that fred moden is also a poet Right. right. Yes. Right. So that's why I just I don't I don't know. I'm, so let I'm... me let me ask you, James, and, and you too, John. And I think this is what you're saying. But can meaning exist outside of epistemology, and can meaning exist outside of grammar? Can can an unintelligible meaning can meaning be unintelligible? I'm gonna answer this way. 
and I know that there's a critique of universal grammar, like Chomsky's universal grammar gets critiqued by um, Deleuze and Guattari. And I think that, right, this is, is grammar universal? Or are there multiple grammars that are all emergent and historical in their own ways? And if we're going to say that there's only one grammar that is the grammar, like the structure that makes all things grammatical is grammar in a universal sense, then no. In a Lacanian sense. But if there sense. are multiple, if there are multiple grammars, if grammar is its own historical emergent thing and not a pre-structure that humans just kind of stepped into and i wish i knew deleuze and guattari's critique of chomsky better here but they make this argument that like to say that there was a grammar before language but language like parole has to emerge and then grammar emerges mm -hmm. from out of the use uh, of parole and whatever that is and, and so there is no universal grammar and in that case we can make we could be making a new grammar since 1500 right like there's a new black grammar that has emerged within the middle passage and i don't even know it what that is yet to even write about it per se but to just act as if it doesn't exist that it can exist or that we shouldn't even gesture towards it in the way we write that like perhaps this exists outside the frame i sound very moten now <laughs> but like i just the nihilism article didn't other than saying there's a spiritual hope that sits outside somewhere but like i just nihilism i don't know maybe i that word i'm being too picky or that word just keeps bringing up all these other things that makes it hard for me to get past the double valence that he's trying to use it through. I don't like it. I, I have a, my, just generally, and I, my thoughts are uncrystallized, but like my research deals with meaningfulness in the diaspora and how meaningfulness is generated. And I'm trying to be both a pessimist and an optimist in understanding that real world lives in the gap between all these theories right and and like finding the space of where people are living and breathing or whatever is is hard to do sometimes through the poverty the epistemic poverty of language but i'm my intuition tells me that it's very like dangerous to not put in the possibility even if it's unthinkable you, you have to, or like the whole thing falls apart. If there's no chance, like again, if it's all absurd, then I should have a cup of coffee or just go fucking kill myself right now. And I mean, on the very basis level as a scholar writing this kind of stuff, but like, where does your philosophy actually lay on the ground? What do we do with black nihilism? Is there something for me to do? Is there some way for me to live as a black person anyway? And, and I know he's saying that nihilism allows you to do all the things that we said Jared Sexton already wrote about. So maybe that is the answer. I feel but... like I've come across as a sycophant. <laughs> <laughs> Which was not my intention. But I... I have just... I don't... I mean, I don't think we... You weren't getting me to do this. I was already feeling this way with the nihilism piece myself. Mm -hmm. That, like, these words were just not... There's a, co there's a coherence that's lacking because there are mixed vocabularies or something floating through that piece. Yeah. Sloppy. It's a little sloppy. I know that's something. And again, you know. But you're, when you're doing this political ontology thing, you have to be really, like, just clear and so that we can keep knowing which premise is the one that 
all these other things are falling out of, like which is the logical premise upon which all these other things are sitting and which things are corollaries and, and, and postulates of a premise. I, so that's I, really important. So I just have, for the, so I have to ahead. say like, as I mean, as a, you know, someone who is new in the tenure track system at a small liberal arts college. Um, and you know, Warren is at, GW, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, he's an assistant professor, right? And I'm just thinking about everything that you have to do for the institution and the way mm. in which the academy is an incredibly violent space. And, 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 and so I hiccup to use the, the word sloppy because I think, like, we just have to, like, get shit out, right? Yeah. And... and and is what I'm asking reproducing the very violence of the academy, which is to ask him to be meticulous, right? To be painstaking, <laughs> literally to ask him to lean in to pain, to lean into suffering. Really? That's what, that's what I, yeah, that's what I'm asking. Right? I guess that's what you are ultimately asking him. And I do think this is important that you, we, we have this moment that we're saying here too, like outside and, of the content and, he's an and assistant like being professor. pedantic. He's, he's hustling too. Yeah. I appreciate, and like, you know, he's, he's, this is very current. So like lots of people listening probably know him or like know him of him. So I don't want there to be any, like, I'm not shady. Definitely not shady. I think the article brings an important, I like, just contribution know why he's to talking discussion. To, I just want to know why he's doing, why, I mean, I think that for me, what would be, what would put a lot of my anxiety about this piece to rest is if he clarified his terms just what does he mean by the political, for example? And if he was clear about why he's tracing this through these dead that white men, right? Just genealogy, why. right? Which, and I know it's like, it's, it sounds like I'm being half funny, but I mean this. What would be really nice is if he actually wrote an article responding to Afro-pessimism or like positioning his... Yeah, I think he should. In the field alongside pessimism and optimism and these other discourses yep. that are taking place, future, futurism yep. too. But, like, I need to see where you fall in that camp. And he gives mm -hmm. me the genealogy that he's working through. Is it Vitora and Vatimo and, you know, hiding. I get that. But, like, where do you position? Like, Valderson, like you said, is cited once or twice. But, like, it's just once. That conversation is cited is just once right and not just twice. That conversation is happening. And right the reason now. that conversation is so exciting, I think, for the both of us, if I, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, or for all three of us, is because they had that exchange back and forth. Right? Mm -hmm. in, in, Which, right. So we were like able open to. Forum. Right, it was something that right, we right. all participated in. Mm -hmm. We could see the emergence of a discourse. And, like, and right, like that moment is just so. I mean, I guess on one hand, you want to distinguish yourself from that moment. But, like, for the sake of, like, black life and death or whatever it, i think we need to be having cooperative conversations mm -hmm. and 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 we read him with wilderson today but like reading him alone you would not even know that afro pessimism and black optimism were out here swirling around and that i think is just a little problematic mm -hmm. yeah as a black scholar talking to another black i <laughs> but i ain't tenure track yet but I mean, like, come, I mean, just but, but, then, but, then, I, but then I also have the to wonder, is this part of like the hustle? Is this part of the hustle that he thinks to, like, make himself 
to authorize himself as a scholar, right? That he has to be in conversation with these white men. I mean, I think that, I mean, I think the other question is like, and this is coming from a field that is really, 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 really white, right? Like, you know, and this is not to say like we as white people need, just need to be constantly educated by people Uh of color um, or by black people, right? But like, you know, people who read Nietzsche and Heidegger and Fatimo, like Mm -hmm. need to think about blackness and Mm anti-blackness. Right, like that's, so maybe that, that's, that's the, a necessary that intervention. The, maybe and, that's, and, like, maybe and, like, that's his and, audience. Maybe and, he's and not talking very, to black. Maybe, and, like, right. That's a very compromising, like white maybe position to take like, on it. But like, I do think that's theory. true. And like, you know, so this is like a thing that I struggle about. And like, some of the recent work I've been doing is that you know, so Shadi and I were at this event last week, and we won't say what it is in case they don't want it to come out. But we were at this event, you know, and these people were talking about the way that like um, that white scholars. And, like, you know, one of them used the metaphor of, like, eating off of the bodies mm-hmm. of um, of black people, consuming. right? Consuming. Mm. Yep, and consuming them. And, like, you know, mm. so when I, like, get my fucking R&R because I write a, an article that's, like, putting together very, very white theory yeah. with Sexton, Spiller, mm-hmm. so on and so mm-hmm. forth, like, I'm also reproducing the very dynamics that I'm talking about and critiquing yeah. in the pieces, right? And so, like, all of this is to say that turn that both of you have made to like think about the positionality of this piece and of war and of what he's doing like in the academy raises all of these really fucking complicated questions oh yeah and and i will say this is that i i've often wondered it's it's i i don't you know i i don't think afro pessimism is a dictum i think it's a posture that's really useful for thinking about again not the not black as pathogen but the world and maybe even the desire for a world as pathological yes but yes. I will say that it, I've often, so, so someone brought up in a conversation to me, a colleague that, um, and, and a white colleague, um, senior colleague that is this line of thinking just a kind of theorization of the N word. And I've been thinking a lot about how <laughs> many non-black people are being trained in Irvine, at the Irvine school, in this, in this school of thought. And I'm wondering, is this just like a, a, like a way to cathect our own anti-black racism. Yeah. Like, wow. and, and, um, uh, hmm. Salamawit Terefe in an article for, a, um, a rhizome special issue on Afro-pessimism, black holes, um, in an interview with Christina Sharp kind of gestures to this argument is that maybe only non-black people can be Afro-pessimists. Wow. Um, and so I actually, um, and John and I have a colleague <laughs> who often says that he's going through a breakup with radicalism. And I often wonder, I mean, I'm at a point where I, this theory is, is something I can't imagine myself not thinking about and doing because, and I use this theory to think about how non-black people of color reproduce anti-blackness to kind of curry recognition for their own right. passing white privilege and to kind of climb that ladder of temporality of, of, of history of this kind of forward movement. Um, but I've, I've wondered how much violence I do by even saying what I say, whether it's in the space of a classroom or in a conversation with a black colleague or in a kind of abstract way here, telling Calvin Warren all the ways in which I think his piece is insufficient. Right. And, and you know, the the thing that I was going to just add to that too, is that I know, and I've heard of some, I have some friends who are, you know, at various stages of trying to make it into the tenured world, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, NTE faculty of various positions and like 
being stigmatized as an Afro-pessimist mm-hmm. today oh, is yeah. working against people getting jobs and, and working against publications if you're coming out too heavily Afro-pessimist mm-hmm. without the 10-year credential behind mm-hmm. you to like secure that no one's going to not take you seriously. And, and I had issues with my own committee dealing yeah. with pessimism and like, how do I write pessimism without citing those theories And I wonder directly. if that's the move It's the game that I'm trying to play through. Yeah, so I wonder now, right? Yeah. Like, like being, you know, this this cat and mouse game or like this shell game of like what I'm really, what I really want to say mm. what I and what I can say right now mm. and what I would like to set myself up to say. Yeah, yeah but here we are playing this like future game again. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's, Lots of structural reasons, I guess, why Afro-pessimism is not able to be or is a weird, right? It sits and in this... so many of its critiques, its most robust critiques, are actually coming from black women academics. And there's been a lot of, like, Facebook squabble, you know, about these. And I often think that they're actually there, and I'm going to say this wrong, Urtech, your, your text, whatever it's called, they're both actually, like, building on Audre Lorde and Spillers, and they have the same kind of original text that they're concerned with, but their interpretations are different. And so who can, who can lean into, and again, maybe this is getting into the the conundrum of agency, but who can kind of like lean into the nihilistic, masochistic, right? And who, and, and like black women who are already, you know, what Spiller says, the zero degree of social conceptualization. Yeah. And Wilderson revisits that kind of ultimate precarity of the black woman at the, the very end of Gramsci's Black Marks. But, like, maybe they're, like, in the trenches already. They, you know? Right, They have yeah. to find a way to fucking survive. <laughs> and I always... Of, yeah. We've done this before, I think, on the episode about Donald Trump, where we just ended with Emily saying, let's, let's have it for, like, some black feminists like intersectional Marxism again. And like, you know, maybe the black scholar, like black women scholars of any stripe, like we should just let them have the last say and let them work out all of these theoretical problems with all the air quotes thrown around. Following kind of combahi, right? If the black, if if they have what they need, the rest of us will have what we need. Then the rest of us are fine, right? Just another quick, quick, quick aside that I thought was really interesting. Cornell West being cited in both of these pieces. Right. Hmm. For his scholarship. Like, it's nice to see because I'm a fan of Cornell West. And I know he's gotten dogged over the last several years by some other black scholars who shall remain nameless that he hasn't published enough. But the things that he's he also published, he's like the. He's also, I mean, he gets typecast as like an Uncle Tom, right? Right, he does. He shows up to do the heavy lifting in the public sphere. No, right. Like he, you know, and it's like the things where he's on record on, like his genealogy of modern racism, which is an old, old essay. I mean, like, listen, he's already laid it out. And like, like, I feel the same with Wilderson. Like, once you write this kind of thing one time, like, I really don't, there's nothing more to say. And if it takes as much out of you as that kind of meticulous thing that I'm asking for, maybe you have nothing left. I mean, maybe that, maybe you're done with that medium, right? Yeah, right. Maybe you're done with playing that very finicky, you know, very finicky, picky academic ease game. Yeah. And you just want to go 
you know, talk on democracy now the way Cornel West does or something. Yeah. But well, it's just very interesting. I, I, I don't always see Cornel West yeah. getting yeah. cited yeah. in race theory and like political theory. So it's nice to see Cornel West still has an academic citation genealogy <laughs> life out here. Yeah. yeah. So I think this is a place to end this conversation. This was really so generative, and I'm so grateful for the both of you for inviting me. So thank you. Thank you. I feel like everything I've said was just like half-baked thoughts, and I wish that like we could have this conversation again in about a week, because then like everything we just spit out would like have a week's worth of like crystallization well, now for me to think through. Let's like whether it's a week or like however long it takes. <laughs> let's come back together and pick some other text. And no linear. There's no linear lineal temporality right. here. I, yeah. So. Right. Let's read an, uh, another author. <laughs> we are yeah. we are the always already. It's yeah. always already next week. Let's just yeah. go right into another episode. <laughs> you underestimate our exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that, uh, yeah, so. Um, yeah, and actually, I, I'm, I'm recording an epistemic unruliness in about four hours, so. All right, so several always already podcasts. I won't, we're, we're, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in recording mode today. I don't know about so this is like, ish, an anniversary episode. The first ever always already podcast came out about three years ago. We'll maybe try wow. to do like a more formal anniversary episode, but it's been, it's been always already three years. This, this is, I've not been around for the full three years. I, You've I always already all. been a part of this podcast. I've right? always already been around. Yeah, right. And I guess I was around for the three years, but like as a listener for like the first year or so. Um, and like this podcast has just been so generated from my thoughts and my own work. And I know that all of us have had lots of experiences now of like realizing that there like other people out here listen to us and you know like having this like third person almost perspective of feedback from the show in the last three years has been really impressive uh like the little network that we've built up i'd love to like touch all these ephemeral people or <laughs> that sounds creepy but so, i would love wait, to so see you, so, this crazy yeah, so like james crazy, right? it sounds like you want to plan the always already podcast conference is what it sounds Can like oh yes do it we're going to do a conference on Exuma Island in the Bahamas, and everyone's going to be there. Yeah, I'll please, everyone's give, travel. please give me an excuse to use my research funds for a vacation. Every, I really need one. Wait, are, are you recreating make, Fire Festival? Yes, yeah, so I'm trying doing, to make James fun Carlin of Ja Rule's Fire Festival. Well, he can be the keynote. Yes, Ja Rule's going to be the keynote. I, I'm, I miss me some Ja Rule. Don't, don't. Yeah. <laughs> the only Ja Rule song I can remember is with... Um, like a hook by someone else. I can't even think of her name now. But yeah. like, if you're giving your money to Ja Rule in 2017, Lord, I don't know what to do for you. That is nihilism. That's nihilism. <laughs> that is black nihilism. Maybe Ja Rule just taught us all something about like how to rain absurdity down on top of white folks. I don't know. Yeah, maybe his was a subversion anyway. <laughs> Maybe his maybe his subversity could not be intelligible to us. It's right. Right. It's the only funny. intelligibility was as a fire. What did you call this? It's a fire festival. Fire festival. I did not read the hate news on Jaw Rule because my high school self misses me some Jaw Rule. I've just been living vicariously through the suffering of these <laughs> these very well off millennials who spent ten grand more to go 
play in the dirt in the, the Bahamas, basically. All right. Um, Shadi, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having Official me. Official Always Already podcast correspondent. Oh, I'm honored. I'm Shadi Malaku. I hope every show I come on can end with a conversation about Ja Rule. We can make that a goal. Let's <laughs> <hope they're laughs> yeah. so, uh, so James has got to have some unruliness coming up. Do you want to give the listeners a preview or no? Or it's going to be a surprise when it drops. Um, fuck neoliberalism. Hey, that's all we're going to say. That's your preview. So be on the lookout for more from James and hopefully some more podcasts more frequently coming forward and also look forward to uh, more future appearances by Shani. So uh, bye, listeners. Bye. Bye. Have an always already day. Always already. Thank you for joining us once again on the Always Already podcast, which is created by John McMahon, James Paladini Jr., Emily Crandall, Rachel Brown, and B. Altman. Visit our website, alwaysalreadypodcast.wordpress.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at alwaysalreadyon. Give us some money over at Patreon, patreon.com slash alwaysalreadypodcast, where you can pledge per episode. Um, subscribe to us on iTunes or some other RSS feeder of your choosing. Leave us a good review on iTunes. Be like those. It makes us appear higher in various search functions and so on and so forth. We would like to thank the Twitter user. We're not sure if we can cite them on air because they DM'd us, but Twitter follower user who suggested we read the Calvin Warren piece. Thank you for that. Thank you, as always, to Leah Dion for her static loops, which you heard in the intro. Thank you to Bad Infinity for their being in the world, which you heard in the little break after the intro. And thank you to B for their cover of Landslide, which you're listening to right now. We'd also like to thank our patrons of the Always Already podcast and the Always Already Circle of Trust. Remember, Always Already Circle of Trust members, you can talk to us. We will give you an enhanced shout-out on air. But thank you, Matthew R., Kristen, Catherine, and Matthew S. In our Tumblr BFF from Canada category, we would like to thank Dana. In the friend of the podcast category, we'd like to thank Steve and Angel. And in the people who haven't claimed rewards but support the podcast, we'd like to thank Bunny and Laika. Until next time, uh, be on the lookout for James's forthcoming Epistemic Unruliness episode and uh, hopefully some future text discussion episodes down the line. Have an always already day. Multiple medicines are catching up to me. Good, I'm glad I recorded just in time to save that for the outtakes. <laughs> are we, so we're on? Uh, we are recording. <laughs>